being able to be adaptable and not necessarily be emotionally connected to the routine and the daily rigor. Those types of people I do, you know, tend to think have more success and, you know, have better results. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Nate Markworth. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Kyle Robinson on leading sales teams through change. Kyle is the Senior Vice President of Sales for MParticle, a leading customer data platform. Kyle has been in technology sales for 15 years, spending the last 10 in marketing technology SaaS, working for companies Responsus, who was acquired by Oracle, Marketo, acquired by Adobe, and Segment, acquired by Twilio. Kyle, I'm really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So having worked at three companies that have gone through acquisitions where you've had to rebuild and align sales strategy, we'd love for our listeners to get your insights on how to keep one's focus in navigating the uncertainty and how to keep teams aligned. Um, so let's start by talking about some of these companies that you've, you've gone through acquisitions with. So tell us about you know, how those acquisitions affected you and the work that you were doing at the time. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And so, yeah, certainly um, no two acquisitions are going to be exactly the same. Um, I was actually an individual contributor with Responsis um, when we were acquired by Oracle. We were a a marketing automation company um, focused on B2C use cases um, and rolled into Oracle's larger um, customer experience um, strategy and and suite of of applications. Um, The second acquisition, Marketo, um, we were a, a B2B marketing automation company um, and acquired by Adobe in a similar fashion, rolled into a kind of larger digital experience platform um, and strategy. And then uh, Segment, we were a um, customer data platform and acquired by Twilio, um, who was uh, a leader in the kind of cloud communication space um, and rolled into their larger strategy to, to, to be a leader in that um, customer engagement space. And so, you know, I think... Something that I took away in, in all those acquisitions um, was, first and foremost, it was a, a very positive event, um, but, you know, it, it definitely brought about a lot of change. And so something, you know, I was an individual contributor at Responses and a sales leader um, at Marketo and, and Segment. And I think um, something that, you know, I, I just tried to, to focus on and, and in terms of, you know, being a leader, uh, make sure that the team was was well aware of is, um, you know, just embrace change. Um, don't look at change as a negative. I think, you know, the second that, you know, you, you let kind of the, the thought creep in that, you know, the way things were done in the past is going to be better than how things are going to be done in the future. Um, I think that, you know, creates a, a situation where negativity um, can, can take hold. And so, you know, in all three acquisitions, you know, created a phenomenal opportunity um, to, to learn about a new company, a new culture, a new go-to-market strategy, um, and also just continue to, to improve your skill set and, and, you know, eventually just, you know, become a better seller, um, whether you're an individual contributor or leader. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you mentioned, you know, avoiding that negativity that can come. So I'm, I'm just curious, in, in the midst of those acquisitions, like how do you keep sales teams motivated, keep them, you know, keep them with a positive attitude and, and really just focused on meeting their sales goals. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when, when you are going through an acquisition, um, you know, typically it's for 
um, a good reason. It means what you're doing as an independent um, company was was succeeding. You were growing quickly. Um, you had a lot of great customers and you had a, you know, a great brand in, in your space. And so, you know, as a result, um, especially early on in those um, post-acquisition quarters, um, you know, a lot of time you, you get more opportunity than you had as an independent company. Typically, the immediate reaction perhaps might be to, to hit pause as far as potential new um, customers wanting to see kind of what that means for your offering. But shortly thereafter, um, in my experience, in, in all three cases, um, the, the amount of opportunity for a seller increases dramatically. Um, you know, not only are you getting the buzz in the market um, of being acquired and, you know, kind of the market trying to understand kind of the why, um, but also in a lot of cases, the acquiree has a loyal customer base as well. And um, there may be a lot of instances where as an independent, smaller company, um, you wouldn't have an opportunity to engage with, you know, certain contacts or um, certain, um, you know, groups at a company. And because of that new credibility that you have um, being a part of a, a larger um, brand and maybe a more trusted um, current vendor, um, you know, it can open up doors that you might not have before. So, you know, in, in all three instances, in my experience, um, it was a very positive thing, especially early on in that relationship to um, actually have the ability to, to grow your pipeline quickly and, and ultimately cl close more business. Awesome. So, you know, I'm sure in, in some of these cases you've seen, you know, it sounds like you've seen things go well. Um, I'm sure there's been some times where things have gone a little bit sideways uh, as well when it comes to the change management. Um, what are some of the things that can go badly that our listeners should kind of be prepared for, keep an eye out for to help minimize the disruption or, or friction? Yeah. And, you know, I think change will always create um, some challenges, right? There, there's no doubt. And, you know, I think some things that were consistent in my experience is, you know, post-acquisition typically may, may not happen immediately. It might be, you know, in, in, in years uh, to follow, but you're, you're typically going to have changes in your, you know, your executive leadership team. Um, typically, you know, the, the acquiries leadership team doesn't uh, stay on um, beyond a few years. I mean, that's just my experience. Um, and so I think the, the things that can go wrong is, you know, the disruption in terms of, you know, being a part of a larger or new company strategy um, inherently changes some of the day-to-day um, -day processes or operations that you may have had as an independent company. So it could be changes in systems. It could be changes in, you know, the, the territory planning, um, you know, who's the, the lead uh, individual to engage with the, the customer base or prospect. So the thing that, you know, I try to really, um, you know, hone in on and, and focus uh, with with my teams during those times is uh, continuing to just focus on what's in the best interest of the customer. Um, I think sometimes, you know, during some of those, you know, changes, you, you tend to get um, focused on internal tasks and internal, um, you know, aspects of the job. And, you know, I think it's just, you know, very, very important to continue to, to focus on what's, what's, you know, in the best interest of the customer. And, you know, during some of those changes as well, it, it just um, reiterates how important time management is, especially from a, from a prospect, pro prospecting and, and, you know, new logo um, type of, you know, sales role. Um, I talk about, you know, really trying to make sure throughout the day that you're focused on revenue producing activities. So when you look at your calendar and at any point during the day, um, if you're working on something that 
you can't directly correlate to um, new revenue or, you know, retaining a, a customer, um, deprioritize that. You know, obviously there's certain aspects of the job that you need to do that might not be always completely directly um, correlated with revenue, but just deprioritize it um, because especially in, you know, an individual contributor role, um, you know, time management and, and focusing on revenue producing activities is so important, um, especially when you're pulled in a lot of directions. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, it sounds like focus is a key, right? It's it's focusing on staying focused on the opportunity to, to, keep, to keep things positive and then, you know, keeping your focus on the customer and re- those revenue opportunities as well. What, what are some other best practices or examples that you can share when, when making sure that the, the operational side of the, of the change management goes well? Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, regardless if you're in the technology industry or any other industry, um, you know, especially in leadership roles, you're really in the business of people. And so having really crisp and clear communications, um, you know, and, and making sure everyone is, is very well aligned on kind of what the goals are, how your individual goals align with the larger business goals. So everyone has kind of that context for kind of the why it's important um, and just try to remove guesswork as much as possible. I think, you know, especially at times of change, it's really important to just make sure you have that alignment um, and make sure everyone understands, you know, their role in the larger strategy of the business. Um, that typically, I think, you know, just makes, you know, everyone work more efficiently and, and you know, removes the guesswork. When, when there's guesswork, I think there's a lot of room for, um, you know, potential negative outcomes. Yeah. So, you know, in leading through change and talking about that topic, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of change, right? We've, we've kind of focused on the macro change of, of acquisitions, but what about just within your organization? You know, there's changes in the market, there's changes in product, there's all, all sorts of changes that you have to navigate as a sales leader. What can you tell us about that? Like how you really try to manage change and, and keep sales focused um, on their, on their targets, you know, through just some of the smaller changes. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And yeah, certainly this year has not been, uh, you know, has not been a year where there's been a lot of changes in kind of the macroeconomic uh, situation. And so, you know, I, I do think that just making sure that you have the right people in place to, you know, kind of drive um, efficient change. And those types of people I tend to, to think are, are people that are very adaptable. Um, they do have that genuine curiosity. They're not, um, they're not necessarily looking for kind of that daily routine um, and, and, you know, are, are comfortable being uncomfortable, if you will. And it's a little bit cliche, but, um, you know, making sure you have the right team in place. And, you know, beyond that, um, you know, having just really clear um, communications in terms of when you put in place, you know, a change in strategy, a change in process um, that you're giving, you know, everyone um, the, the context and kind of the buy in for for the why. I do think that's really important. But, yeah, I think, you know, especially in um, especially in sales, as opposed to other roles, being able to be adaptable and um, not necessarily be emotionally connected to the routine and the daily rigor. Um, those types of people I do, you know, tend to think have, have more success and, and, you know, have better results. Yeah. So, so what about it from a customer's perspective as well? I mean, in, in a sales role, um, even in sales leadership, I mean, you're, you're impacting customers, you know, as they, you know, make purchases and, you know, bring your product on board, you know, how do you approach change from their perspective and helping them navigate those changes internally? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, the, Customers definitely, you know, also feel change from kind of a, a pre-sales process 
to, you know, onboarding and, and becoming a customer as well. And so, you know, I think something that we really focus on is um, just having a very seamless and, and, and um, clear handoff between kind of the pre-sales and, and post-sales account team. Um, I think, you know, some other things that we really focus on, especially in, you know, our world of, of marketing technology SaaS is, um, you know, during the pre-sales process, really doing a, a, a good job of doing the proper discovery, not just on kind of the technical requirements for a project, but really digging into um, how technical requirements align with um, their business and the larger goals of their business. You know, the more that we can connect the dots between specific um, soft, software features or software use cases that are required and connecting those to, um, you know, executives um, goals around increasing revenue or um, decre- decreasing costs or sometimes decreasing risk. Um, when you have that clear connection, um, we tend to, you know, have much better long-term um, partnerships and especially during an onboarding and for a, a, a customer going from a, a prospect to, you know, a, a go live date, um, making sure that you're constantly documenting and constantly reiterating, not just at the end user level, but all the way up through the, the budget owners level, um, how and, and why we're, you know, connecting certain capabilities and use cases um, and aligning it through through their lens, through what's important in their business. And typically most businesses are, you know, concerned with trying to increase cost or increase revenue or decrease cost. Sounds like, you know, one of the themes I picked up on in that answer was alignment kind of across the board, right? You know, so, and no matter what kind of change we're talking about, whether it's customer or internal, like what, what are some measures that you've taken as a team leader to make sure that alignment takes place as much as possible? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, something that we say here quite a bit um, is, you know, sales is is a team sport, and so I think something that we, um, you know, truly adopt as kind of a core value is, um, you know, that that we win and lose as a team, and, and beyond that, um, not just sales are responsible for building relationships in the pre-sales and, and post-sales process. So I think something that we try to do is you know, incorporate our own executive team, incorporate, um, you know, different um, groups within our business, whether it's marketing or, or product management, and really engaging with our, our prospects and customers um, in ways beyond just kind of the traditional sales cycle. And so I think when you do kind of have that um, cross-functional alignment um, on both sides of the desk, it, it certainly does, you know, break down some of those silos that can sometimes exist. Um, during a, a you know a, a software evaluation, and you'll get different answers to the same question depending on who you who you talk to and at what level. And so you know, really trying to to help break down those silos um, and really just be a a good partner in terms of the clear communication company wide of you know what our goals are and what we're what we're doing to help meet those goals. Um, I think that's really you know the the best way to to try to create that. Uh, alignment between between the companies. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Kyle. Um, so I want to back up a little bit, you know, before the before you start, you know, implementing a new tool or, or getting into that, you know, post sales process, you know, you're a sales leader, you've, you've got obviously have some some wisdom to share with uh, just, you know, how you sell. So I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about what are your, your top 10, you know, words that help you close a deal? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, 
you know, I, I wish there was a silver bullet in terms of just, you know, a line or a strategy that would close, you know, every, every deal that we're pursuing. But, you know, I do think strategically, um, when you're nearing the end of a, an evaluation and you're nearing the point of either being selected or, or, or you know, executing a contract, um, typically the, the later stage opportunities are, are focused on, from a customer's point of view, focused on risk mitig- mitigation. And so, you know, generally speaking, they're, they're comfortable that, you know, the, the product is going to solve a problem they have. Um, you know, generally speaking, they're comfortable with the, the, the return on the investment or the potential cost to bring in that uh, product. And so, um, you know, those later stage opportunities when you're trying to give, get them over the line, I think um, along the lines of risk mitigation. And so what, what we try to do is just revisit the alignment um, that, we, that we had with the budget owner or final decision maker and just making sure that we have that clear connection between what our product does in terms of the, the, you know, the use cases it enables and, and the features that it has and tying those capabilities to um, what I mentioned before as far as business outcomes. And so how, how is this use case going to drive um, X amount of incremental revenue for the company? Um, how are we going to decrease cost? Um, and so when you have that, uh, that connection and, you know, sometimes it is through, you know, executive alignment and, and kind of just recommitting as, you know, a partner, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Um, you know, those types of conversations typically in my experience help, uh, help get those opportunities over the line. Awesome. And what about, you know, even early in the process, reaching out to prospects, you know, what, what advice would you have around that? Whether it's, you know, best time of day to reach out to a prospect or, you know, the, the quality over quantity perspective and what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, I started my career at a college, um, at a company called CDW, which was a, uh, um, you know, a direct market reseller of, you know, basically any hardware or software product on the planet and their onboarding and enablement was very much, here's your desk here's your computer and here's your phone, um, you know, good luck, go find um, some, some business. And so, you know, my career 15 years ago started very much with just cold calling. Um, and so that, you know, at that time, obviously things were much different as far as, you know, how we, how we do business and how we communicate. But, um, you know, as far as like the best time of day to reach out to a prospect, when I was, when I was making, you know, a hundred cold calls a day, I tend to find that it was kind of off peak hours. So if somebody was working late, um, I had a better chance of getting somebody on the phone after five o'clock or really early in the morning before they get busy. Um, Certainly, I think in today's environment, um, you know, the channel channels in which people engage with have changed quite a bit and how people evaluate products and, and vendors have changed dramatically. But, you know, I think in terms of what I see um, you know, be the most effective strategy to open up doors with with prospects is, you know, first and foremost, be concise, um, do the research and understanding of their company and, and that individual. Um, and, you know, as far as the time of day, I would I would also agree, uh, try, you know, early in the morning or sometimes later in the day when people are less busy with kind of the day to day rigor of their job where they're, you know, typically um, in meetings throughout the, you know, 10 to 10 to 4 p.m. period. Yeah. Another another question though, if you got the the silver bullets out there, I would love to know it because it's a it's a constantly changing strategy. But you know, if you can develop some skills to improve your your engagement rates, it's uh, quite quite valuable. Yep, and I'm sure that it, it's an ever changing uh, you know 
target as well. So, it, you know, with that in mind, you know, what are some of the uh, some good resources that you kind of go to? You know, um, is there a book or a blog, newsletter, a website, anything that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think um, something my CEO Michael Katz here at MParticle um, recommended I read when I came into the role was um, a book called Thinking in Systems, um, which I thought was very interesting. It's by uh, Donella Meadows. Um, and it's really geared towards, you know, thinking differently in terms of how um, different aspects of a system are interconnected, um, really focused on, you know, just trying to, um, you know, solve problems and, and think differently. Um, so I found that a really interesting, um, interesting book. Another book that uh, I recently read, which is more along the lines of kind of sales leadership and um, opportunity management and kind of go-to-market messaging was um, The Qualified uh, Sales Leader by uh, John McMahon, who's pretty well known in, in the industry as kind of a leader in kind of go-to-market, um, you know, value-based selling and value-based um, messaging. So I, I found both those books really, really interesting. Awesome. And, and what about people? And la last question, could you share the names of three people in B2B tech who lead go-to-market or data science teams that you would recommend we bring on the show? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, I've been very lucky in my career to have worked at, you know, some of the more successful kind of independent marketing tech SaaS companies. And, you know, um, I guess it is better to be to be lucky than good. I think, you know, some of the reasons why all of these companies and, you know, that they were acquired was because of the quality of talent. And, you know, it, it's been great to be a part of those individual people's lives and to see how everyone has progressed in their own careers. Um, you know, I work directly for a number of sales leaders who have continued to, to, you know, have, have tons of success beyond, um, you know, the, the companies that we work for. And so, um, you know, Jan Zeman, who's the head of sales at uh, Iterable, we work together at Responsus and, and Oracle. Um, he would be a great, uh, a great person. Matt Hines, who I work for at, um, at Marketo is now the the chief revenue officer at Amplitude, um, and another another uh, phenomenal sales leader, um, Mark Ebert, who we work together at uh, at uh, Responsus and Oracle. He's now the the head of sales at Six Sense. So those are three three people that I um, have learned a lot from and and look at uh, look look at as uh, as mentors and and always try to um, stay in touch with. Awesome, appreciate that, Kyle. Well, hey, I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thanks for being on our show. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Base TV.